This is a podcast from Minute Media. Sox fans, here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Welcome everyone, the Bastards are back for this Friday edition of the podcast. We are brought to you in part by the Minute Media Podcast Network. The Red Sox just wrapped up a three-game set with the Toronto Blue Jays Losing the series two games to one, they are currently fourth place in the AL East, two games behind Toronto Blue Jays, who continue to lose the division, (laughs) win the division. Oh my goodness, tripping over my tongue. Quick disclaimer for any first-time listeners, this is not a Homer podcast. We call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When they are getting destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended, press the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, let's get rolling. I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina by way of Wyndham, Maine. You can... Find me on Twitter at CushmanMLB. You can find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Also joining me tonight from the city of Westwood, Massachusetts, is Jason Kelly. Jason, how are you? I'm good. I'd be doing a lot better if we actually finished off that rally earlier today instead of just crapping our pants in the ninth inning. But apart from that, yeah, I can't complain. I'm mad at whoever was supposed to cover the plate the inning before when Vasquez went out for the pop-up and then the third base runner came home. Nobody was covering. Is that the pitcher? Who covers Yeah, that? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah if the pitcher's going to take himself out of that play, he's got to at least cover home plate. Yeah. That's what I thought. Frazier just, I don't know. But, yeah, that that's definitely annoying uh, for sure. Also joining us tonight from the city of Denver, Colorado, by way of Quincy, Massachusetts, Andrew Dwan. I'm ready to bring more energy than the Red Sox offense did this last three days. <laughs> that was brutal. That it was, was. <laughs> absolutely. They uh, let's see, they scored a whopping total of five runs. Good for a netting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we've uh we've definitely seen bigger innings out of that uh in the past from this team. So we'll uh we'll get into it. Uh I'm terrible at this. Jason, where can they find you on Twitter? Uh you can find me at color of the iris on Twitter. And Andrew. Uh at Andrew Dwan MLB. Very good. Okay, so let's just get right into it. So three-game set, Red Sox 
when the opener started off on a high note, win that one two to one, low scoring game. Then game two on Wednesday night, lose that one six to one. That one got out of control pretty early. And then today, as we just kind of alluded, uh, the Red Sox lost that one three to two. We are now below 500 again. So very much the, the tough April that some of us expected. Yeah, absolutely. And being under 500 right now, it's it shouldn't be that big of a deal because obviously there's a lot of baseball left, but we know how difficult the schedule is and you've got you know a 10-game road trip coming up. That's not going to get any easier, especially when you have to go to Toronto. So, you know, they could come back from that road trip in a really big hole. And all of a sudden, you know, you're going to have to Alex Cora and, and this team are going to have to answer some difficult questions. Yeah, well, if Cora's even around to answer them, if, <laughs> if he's out of quarantine. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, this is a situation where they got to write the ship quick. Obviously, with the AL East, Things are weird. It's so stacked on the Baltimore. Um, a good week gets you back in it. It just swings the whole division. This has to be it when you have seven divisional games in a row. This is when the offense needs to wake up. Certainly does. And, uh, you know, JD out with an adductor. Is that like a groin injury? Is, is that what I understood? I think it's lower body. It looks like it. Yeah. Like when, when they showed the replay, it looked like he was sort of grabbing around that area and kind of limping off. So yeah, it's something like that. Yeah. And to be fair, I mean, he's not one to, you know, like a certain twins outfielder, just go on the injured list for any reason. Shout out to Byron Buxton. Uh, But yeah, that was probably the dumbest extension of the winter too. Give it to a guy who's never played more than 80 games or something like that. Just crazy. I meant to mention that after the, the twin series, but all right, let's get into studs and duds. We'll still, we'll still start with studs this week. Sometimes we'll do it backwards if we lose the series, but uh, Andrew, uh, go ahead and lead off. Who's your stud for the series? Mine is a guy that's, emerging as maybe the face of the bullpen outside of Whitlock. And that's Hansel Robles. He came in and he brought it. He went one and two thirds innings, went through the heart of that lineup and he was untouchable. He dotted um, Vlad Guerrero Jr. High and outside. It was maybe the best pitch I've ever seen him throw. And Guerrero stood no chance. He just took it. Yeah. Struck him out on it. And having a guy that can do this on a seemingly nightly basis at this point is a huge weapon. And I can see him stepping into that ninth inning role if they don't deem that, you know, we want our best guy in the eighth. And he can go more than one. It's not a strict three-out guy. He can go five or six if you need him to. So, Hanzo Robles, you are a bright spot in a bleak series. Yeah, he was really good. And it's especially impressive because this guy barely had a spring. I mean, he he got added onto the team so late. And he was one of those guys that when they, you know, gave him the offer, I thought, oh, okay, yeah, sure. Well, we'll take another flyer on him. Let's see what happens. You know, he'll probably blow up in the third game that he pitches and we'll never see him again. But he's proving me wrong. He's proven a lot of people wrong. Um, his, his fastball still has a ton of life to it. And if he can pinpoint it with that kind of accuracy and – just 
go up against some of the toughest hitters in the league and look confident doing it, then yeah. I mean, I, I don't rule out him potentially getting some ninth inning looks. I mean, I think Alex Cora is going to treat the ninth inning that way going forward this whole year. Whoever's hot, they're going to get the ball in the ninth because, you know, I, I don't think you can really just nail down and, and name any guy in that bullpen as your quote-unquote closer. So if Robles keeps dealing like this, then, yeah, he should get some save opportunities. And if this is sort of the motivation he needs of like, hey, there's an open spot there, you were a late addition, you know, make make a name for yourself there, why not? Keep, keep giving them the shots. I'm kind of a... I'm getting to be a bigger Robles guy, and I pointed out that... And it looks like 13 appearances in the month of September in 2021, he did not give up a single earned run. Finished off the year, lights out. The month of October, he gave up one to Houston. And so far this season, I I don't think he's given up an earned run yet. Let me check. No, no, he's got a a 0.00 earned run average. And the crazy thing to me is after finishing last year on such a high note, Red Sox have him this year for $2.25 million. 29 other teams said, eh, no thanks. And the Red Sox ended up with him again for $2.25 million. So... I think that's phenomenal. I I thought as long as he was ready, because he had visa issues during spring training, got there super late, but I kind of figured he would probably be the closer uh, early on, and whether he keeps that or not you know, remains to be seen, but I, I thought he was probably the best candidate, given the fact that arguably he's the best righty in that Red Sox bullpen. So I love to see it, and I hope we see a lot more of it. I'm down with that. Yeah, I mean, if, if again, like I said, if he gets more opportunities and ends up just nailing down that closer role for, you know, $2.5 million or barely $2.5 million for the rest of the year, that's a, that's a steal. So absolutely ride the wave as long as you can. Yeah, it, my confidence level in him is night and day was it was last year. Last year, I thought, you know, he'll probably get it done, but it's going to be a roller coaster. This year, I'm like, no, I, I expect him to come in and shut things down right now. And I love the fact that his entrance music is uh, The Undertaker's theme and <laughs> uh, gives a little bit of swagger. And I like that. I like that because he's, he's thriving off of it and he, he's backing it up, so... I'm a big Robles guy, and uh, like I said, I don't I don't care how good Matt Barnes gets. <laughs> Not full of me, you know. It's, any success he has is only super temporary. So, all right, Jason, go ahead. You're stud for the series. Well, it was a sleepy series for the offense, but one guy who did bring a little bit of it was Xander Bogarts. Um, he went five for twelve couple of doubles um, really was a big part of what should have been a big rally in, in the ninth inning earlier today. Um, you know, hit that double down and down into the corner, 
really got the offense jump-started in that inning. Um, unfortunately, the guys behind him couldn't finish it off. But Bogarts is swinging a good bat. Once again, he's having a good April. Um, he generally does. And there was some concern when he, you know, left that first game with that injury. You know, is he going to be okay? Did he, you know, is he, is his swing going to be right? Nope. He looks good. His swing looks good. He's, you know, he, he's still having a productive April. And I think the power is going to come more and more as, as the weather warms up too. So um, it's hard to tell with him, obviously the off-field distraction with his contract, how much is that really affecting him? But whether it's affecting him or not, he he's able to block it out and he's able to go out there and play. So um, can't go wrong with that. He's been great so far, and uh, I expect him to keep going that way. Yeah, safe to say he's back. I think um, there were a lot of concerns, like you said, early on in the season. But I think I don't think anyone was really hitting at that point. No one really is yet anyways either i guess but yeah xander seems to have found his stroke going the other way pulling pulling balls down the line and he had a great defensive play today when the ball got by dahlbeck uh, who made a diving attempt at third the ball got through xander but he backed up third and verdugo got the guy out it was a big play in the game kept the game close uh without that we probably don't even have an opportunity to rally uh in the ninth inning so it's good to see him getting back into his own. Hopefully, hopefully that means some of these other guys are going to start getting going. But um, if JD's out for any extended period of time, I do worry about some of the protection he's got behind him in that lineup. Like Jason said, it's another great April for Xander Bogarts, hitting 354 right now. I don't have the numbers for all the other shortstops in the league, but that's got to be top one or two, I would think. Um, I don't think the the walks were quite there, but, uh, yeah, he's got a 380 OBP, so he's he's been a hitting machine thus far. Only uh, one home run on the, on the season as well, but um, still, you know, get – you know, getting on base and uh, being a force. Only one error so far, I think, this season, which came in the in the first game. So, uh, good year. I, I'm a I'm a pessimist when the second half comes around with with Bogart. So, hopefully, at the very least, whether we end up retaining him this year or not, hopefully, it's at least one of those stellar contract years that can, uh, you know help get us deep into October. Yeah. And that's what you have to hope for with guys like him endeavors is that the contract situation doesn't bother them, but it motivates them and they're able to block it out for as long as they need to. And I think Bogarts can do that. He's been around long enough. He knows how to play through stuff like that. So, and like I said, I think the power will come. The power will come once the weather warms up. Yeah. I'm hoping he's also doing some talking on the charter flight tonight. Maybe telling the guys to get their act together because what what they're doing right now isn't sustainable for any sort of long-term success. That's true. That's true. I don't know if, if Bogey's that type of guy, but uh, I, I would love it if he was. I mean, when you're looking down this roster, I mean, who else could be a big voice? I mean, JD's the only one that comes to mind. Yeah, probably JD. I do think, I know that 
maybe you might disagree. I think Vasquez does have some pull in that locker room just because he's been here for so long. I know that he's not necessarily an offensive leader, but I think he's just a leader in that clubhouse all around just because he's, again, he's been here so long. He's a catcher. So there's parts of the game like that he needs to manage much more than all the other guys. So it's probably Vasquez and JD, but yeah, apart from that, I'm, I'm not sure there are any other real vocal leaders. Absolutely. All right. So my stud for the series, I, I could have went a couple different ways, but I'm going to go with Nathan Avaldi. He's picked up essentially where he left off last year. As he's down to a, a 368 ERA. And a very typical, solid Evaldi performance, really. The thing that impresses me the most about him is he he doesn't give up a lot of walks. There's just not a lot of free passes uh, when when Nathan Evaldi is on the mound. Typically, it's it's one walk or it's none, and he he's not gonna have a ridiculous double digit punch out you know performance like uh, you know a guy like Max Scherzer. Uh, typically will or Jake DeGrom in the two months of the year that he's healthy. Um, he's just, he's just very solid and, and keeps the game in check. There, there were a couple of innings where he, he did have some traffic on the bases, but they didn't score. His only run given up was a, was a shot that was just crushed by Zach Collins, who happens to be hot at the moment. And, Perhaps Cora was a little worried about that because in the fifth inning when Collins came in, it, uh, that that was when the hook happened for, for Voldy. But can't help but be impressed. Yeah, he's he's pitching like your ace right now, and he needs to be. And you're right; like he's not he's not a flashy ace by any means. You know, he's not going to put up the twelve, thirteen strikeout games. He's not going to go seven, eight innings deep. Um, he's going to give you what he can, which is five, six innings, maybe seven if he's really efficient. He'll strike out, you know, seven to eight guys. But you're right; he doesn't he doesn't give free passes that much. Um, his really his only weakness is giving up the home run ball. Um, which is part of why he doesn't walk guys, because if he gets to a 3-1 count, he'd rather throw a fastball right over the plate than try and get fancy and get a, a hitter to chase. Sometimes that gets him in trouble, but in general, Ivaldi does a really good job just keeping the base bases empty, you know, being efficient and not giving anything up for free. And look, you know, it, right now that's what this team needs. They just need him to be this good going forward until the rest of the rotation gets healthy and sorts itself out because if Evaldi starts to falter for any reason, this team is so screwed. So it's a good thing that he's been sharp coming out of the gates. Yeah. And I think an underrated aspect of that uh, start by him was the last second scratch of Vasquez. I mean, you got Connor Wong coming up because, you know, the little bout of COVID going through the clubhouse. And I know he threw with them in the offseason and all, but it's not, you know, who's been working with during spring training and then, you know, the last couple starts. So to be able to hold a lineup like Toronto's to one run, it, 
is a testament to him. Hell, I mean, like you said, it was Zach Collins wasn't even one of their better players that uh, went deep off of him. So uh, this is what they need. Uh, that win was our A team. Uh, our uh, like um, staff right there. You had Nate, you had Strom, Robles, and Deakman, and Whitlock. That is your game seven. You know, so it's glad it's good to see that they did against Toronto because if they break that out against you know any other mediocre team, they're going to win that game if he pitches like this and the rest of them follow it up. Stole my thunder a little bit. I was going to talk about Connor Wong later. I may as well mention it right now. And perhaps I put it on Twitter, so maybe you guys have already seen this. But aside from the four bad innings that another pitcher pitched that we're going to get to shortly. The other 14 innings, Red Sox pitching only gave up two runs with Connor Wong catching. One was from Avaldi that we just talked about, and the other was from Matt Barnes in game two. So he handled that pitching staff very well, Connor Wong did, and... I'm a big anti-Vasquez guy. I mean, I love his personality and, and what he means to the team, but I'm just, I'm all about how catchers work with with pitching staffs. That's what I'm all about. And any offense you get beyond that is, is a bonus. For is, Again, just my opinion. So I like seeing that with, uh, with Wong, and he has shown power in the minors. He might have, I, I want to say he he either led double A or all of minor league baseball in 2019 with, uh, I think it was 28 home runs, something like that. So just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, I, I thought he looked pretty good. He looks like he can frame pitches pretty well. Um, so I wouldn't mind seeing more of him. And it's kind of like at this point, you, you really hope Connor Wong turns into something because Again, he was part of that Mookie Betts deal. And right now that deal is looking like all you got was Alex Verdugo out of it because Jeter Downs can't hit. And Connor Wong, up until now, we weren't even sure if he was going to be a catcher or what they were going to do with him. So if he does turn into at least a good platoon MLB catcher, I'd be happy with that. Yeah, you know, he had a couple hiccups uh, in yesterday's game where he led a – I think it was a swinging strike three by him. Um, and that led to a run. Um, he wasn't able to block it. And then he had a, he sailed a throw kind of like similar to the one Vasquez did today, but yeah, he's looked pretty solid. And I think Plowecki's a well-liked guy in that clubhouse. And, you know, this front office and Cora don't like to shake things up too crazily. They are veteran, you know, they respect the veterans there, but I think, if I don't know there's much of a difference if you replace Plowecki with Wong at this point. Wong must have a better arm though to, to hold base runners than I mean than we all have better arms. <laughs> okay. All right. It's like Johnny Damon and like the end of his career out there. <laughs> like throw, uh, it, he he can't. In Plowecki's not bringing you anything behind the plate or at the plate either, you know? He he's not hitting. And, Wong can at least drive the ball if you need to. He led to that, you know, that deep sack fly to right. I I don't trust Plowecki to do that. And Plowecki hasn't been 
helping the pitching staff a ton. I think he caught Tanner Houck, uh, not today, but his previous start. And that was a good outing for, for Houck. But, but for the most part, there's not a difference when, when you're putting Pulecki with someone instead of Vasquez. So if you're not getting that and then Pulecki's not hitting, what are you getting? Yeah, you might as well find out what you have long term. I mean, Pulecki's not he's he's done after this year with them. You know, he, he means literally nothing. Find out what you have with Wong. Right. Yeah, I I'd love to see it. I think it's you know, it's certainly time for a change back there. Just one quick other thing um with Avaldi. He had the lowest walk rate in 2021 the lowest walks per nine 1.7 it was him and Garrett Cole like trading it for much of the year and then uh Evoldi ended up having the lowest in MLB he had an even lower walk rate in 2020 albeit abbreviated that's probably why it was lower but only 1.3 and uh and then in 2018 where where he split time between Tampa and then eventually Boston and became a world series hero, uh, a 1.6, uh, walk rate. So it just speaks to the fact that there's just not a ton of free passes when, when Evoldi is the starter. So, all right. Um, I forgot to tally, uh, all of my box scores, but, uh, not a ton of studs, uh, to speak of as far as honorable mentions go, um, Christian Arroyo quietly getting that average up a little bit. He's at 200 and, um, was, let's see, two for two for 10, uh, on the series, uh, two for eight, excuse me. So kind of quiet there. Bradley showing a little bit of life. His batting average is 258 right now, <laughs> you know, and I know average isn't the be all and end all, but that's not typically a category where, even there he's he's shining and uh and then uh let's talk about Tanner Houck real quick because that that was the other guy that might have uh been my stud second outing in a row looked pretty good uh he did have three walks in his previous start but it, it was spread out a little bit and um you know certainly a better outing and then today in uh, in the finale against Toronto, where I kind of thought it would be not a great start for him, because that's a lineup that's gonna that's gonna jolt you and and uh, really put a ton of pressure on you. And he only walked one today, struck out four, lasted five innings, uh, went through the order more than twice. So. Where are we with Tanner Houck? Are we are we drinking the punch again? I think at least for now, yeah. I mean, obviously, the, the walks are still an issue, right? So he, he still walks, I think, too many guys, uh, or at least gets himself into too many bad counts uh, when he's up there. But at least for now, he's showing that he can give you that five innings of just solid pitching. And I think he's still kind of developing as a starter. I think he's still kind of figuring himself out. So who knows what he'll be in July, August, if he stays in the rotation. And honestly, the way it's going right now, 
we we've talked about it before with the second half when sale comes back when paxton is ready um you know who's going to be the odd man out in the rotation right now it's not trending like it's going to be tanner hawk it's trending like it might be somebody else so if you're tanner hawk you can at least feel pretty good about that he's had a decent enough april and if he keeps stringing more good starts together he should keep his spot in the rotation going forward um oh i'm you know, I'm enthusiastic about these last two starts, but there are some slightly concerning numbers. Uh, Red Sox stat had it today. Hawks thrown 77 sliders so far this year, and teams have only swung and missed five times on it. So they're not swinging at that, you know, sweeping breaking ball as much as they have in the past. And if they're going to lay off that, that that's that could be an issue going forward with Tanner because, I mean, we all know he just doesn't have the deepest repertoire. So... Between that and then the OPS that just steadily, um, you know, rises second and third time through the order, I'm not a hundred percent sold on him keeping that starter spot. If guys like Waka and Hill can prove to be reliable for a solid five innings per start, because I do think how can give you two to three elite innings. I'm not sold he can do five uh, 35 times a year. Well, I mean, as long as the walk rate is down, uh, I just think that's the biggest area of concern. So if that's staying down, I'm just going to want to continue to see more. I meant to double check on it. I don't think he's given up a home run this year either, if I'm not mistaken. So don't quote me on that, but that's that's not something he's, he's prone to do regardless. So... Um, my favorite part about Tanner though, is whether it's a good start or a bad start, his demeanor is the same. He's when he's getting slapped around, it's not because he's rattled. It's just his stuff just hasn't been consistent and it, it has been the last couple of starts. So, um, We'll see. There's other things that there's a lot of moving parts to whether or not he is or in the in the rotation, as Jason kind of teased. And uh, Garrett Whitlock is gonna probably get a start, uh, meaning he's the first pitcher in that game, uh, and, and it'll be more than an open situation. So it, it's not a bad problem to have. I think we'll all, at the very least, agree on that. Because there yeah, were not. there were a lot of concerns, at least on my part, about how effective this rotation was going to be. Yeah, no, not a bad problem to have at all. I mean, if Tanner Houck is pitching his way into you know forcing you to keep him in the rotation, that's always a good thing. So, yeah, definitely a good problem to have. Yeah, the Whitlock thing, I, I'm I'm interested to see how it goes. I, they better score some damn runs in the first couple innings because I only want him going three. I don't want him throwing like 50-something pitches. I, he, they better give him something and so he can, you know, hand it off to God knows who, I guess, Valdez. So <laughs> I don't know what they're going to do. If he's efficient, I can see him going five innings in this start. <laughs> if he does that, then cross him off the list for Toronto. Oh, well, true, but... 
That that's what's that, that's where I want them because God knows what the hell they're gonna do with that rotation in Toronto. Well, actually, it, we'll be getting into this more later. But if he's pitching game two, if he's starting game two against Tampa, that would put him in line for game four against the Blue Jays if they do want to start him. Yeah. So we'll uh, we'll get to that a, a little bit more. Um, so. I think, I mean, we could talk about some other guys here, I guess, real quick. I, we, and we should, actually. Um, we talked about him in the last show. Phillips Valdez. Who is the real Phillips Valdez? Because <laughs> he looked great in 2020. Abbreviated sample size. Bad for a lot of 2021. Has not given up a single run this year, and and a sample size that's not quite small anymore. Like it's 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 growing now, and it's he he's got my he's got my interest because we we saw a guy named Cutter Crawford struggle, who's kind of was projected as a long guy. So can can Phillips Valdez force his way into that spot? I don't see why not. I I think Cora trusts him at this point. I mean, he keeps going to him. So I, I, I still don't think Valdez has overwhelmingly great stuff. He's got a pretty decent breaking ball, but, you know, he's just kind of got average stuff, but he gets outs, you know, and, and he doesn't generally run into a ton of trouble, at least not so far this year. So, yeah, he could absolutely start pitching his way into that role because, again, I, I think it's open season in that bullpen. I think it's just Alex Gore and, and the whole team's going, we're going to give you chances, and whoever wants to just take the ball and, keep runners off the base pass and, you know, be solid for us out there. You're going to get more and more opportunities going forward. He's just going to keep riding the hot hands. And Valdez is one of them right now. I'm not putting putting him into the circle of trust per se, but um, if they want to pick and choose their spots with them, I'm totally fine with him being a mainstay. Once the rosters do cut down in uh, beginning of May or whenever it is, he actually has a higher war right now than Nady Evaldi on the seasons, which is kind of hilarious. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't see that coming until just now when I looked it up. It's crazy because all winter long, you're you're seeing this roster get put together, and you're seeing guys like Strom come in and Deekman and and you're starting to wonder who's going to get kicked off the 40 man. And all winter long, I thought Valdez was one of those candidates. And and here he is playing seemingly a, a big role. And these aren't bad teams we've faced. We haven't arguably haven't really faced a bad one. So it's just absolutely crazy to me. Um, uh, what's his name here? Jake Diekman. Uh, continues to to look pretty good. Uh, Sawamora, uh, solid so far. I'm, I'm just about as surprised by that as I am with with Valdez. So, not a ton of uh, complaints about this bullpen. No, they've been they've been keeping it together rather nicely. So. Um, yeah, Sauermar looks good so far. Diekman and Strom both look like very good additions so far. So um, if they can just kind of figure out the very back end, the, the eighth and ninth inning in close games, and who do they really trust there, then, yeah, I think otherwise your bullpen's pretty solid. 
even Austin Davis kind of had a pretty solid day today. His stuff has been ticking up a little lately. I still think he is definitely probably the first cut, but um, yeah, he pretty okay. So, I mean, if he continues this and you have to move him beginning of May to make room, maybe you can figure something out with instead of outright cutting him. I don't know. Hopefully he provides some sort of value. Well, he's got options though, doesn't he? No, I think he's out of options. Um, really? I thought he had options. I go to fan graphs to find that. It's not good to have uh dead time, but I'm going to be really sad if he doesn't have options. So yeah, that's <laughs> we need to find this out together. No, he has zero options left. Oh, that's not good. So yeah, um, he he's really only had one bad outing so far this year. So he he's a guy, but we're so lefty strong. I mean, we've got Diekman and, and Strom. And uh, Sawamora down uh, in the minors. And I think Josh Taylor might be coming back. I, I used to be high on Taylor, but he's a guy that I, I just, between the injuries and the inconsistency. So we'll, we'll see. He, he's, I think Davis is going to get scooped up. That's not going to be one we, we're going to have the luxury of uh, outright. They'll have to trade him if they do need to get him off the roster. They they can't just there there there's no get there's not going to be any sneaking him by. I don't think. Maybe maybe we can make Charlie happy and uh, get Chavis back, but um, <laughs> I keep I want to go more, but there's uh, we're going to get into some stuff uh, in just a few minutes, but. All right, so uh, let's go ahead and switch over to duds right now, actually. So the duds for the Toronto series. Uh, Andrew, go ahead. Do you know that in just seven at-bats, Travis Shaw has a negative .2 war so far? I want to give him 400 at-bats to see how, how low he can drop. Probably lower than that pop-up he caused to drop today. That was absolutely pathetic. His at-bats... There's no competition in him. They're just completely uncompetitive. He bunted it right back to the pitcher. It was like, at least he made contact. I I don't know what he's doing here. He has no place on this team anymore. Um, his time's running up. Cash has hit a bomb today. Just bring him back. Bring him up to Canada with you. Um, I, I am so over Travis. He wasn't even – that was his ball that was popped up on the infield – with wind and sun, and you're like, how you can't expect Christian Vasquez to make this play. This isn't the catcher's ball. This is the first baseman's ball. And he barely entered the screen when that ball dropped. And he was just of no use. And that led to the, you know, the game would have been tied in the ninth. Got, you know, uh, I am so sick of Travis Shaw. Like I said last week, and I don't want to continue to beat a dead horse, but he is my least favorite move that the Red Sox have made in the last three years, and it's not even close. Yeah, he's he's completely cooked. He's got nothing left, no, no value left at all. He looks completely out of shape. I mean, he actually looks like he's just been sitting on his couch for like a year, and they just pulled him off like, oh, hey, by the way, you got to go play a baseball game, like, he just – he provides no value whatsoever. And first base is kind of a, a glaring problem right now because Dahlbeck's not hitting either. 
Um, he's at least good defensively. I'll give him that. But Shaw can't do either of them. Shaw can't hit, and he can't play defense. So I'm surprised that that was the you know the safety valve that they chose for you know well in case Dahlbeck struggles, who who do we who can we go get on the free agent market you know to to supplement that? And they chose Travis Shaw. Um, I'm sure there must be better options out there, but yeah, I I hope that we don't see much more of him going forward because it, it's just a waste at this point. It, it's a completely wasted at bat. And he just has, he provides no value for this team. Two words. And I can't believe I'm saying this. Franchi Cordero. Give him to me. Yeah, why not? <laughs> why not? Yeah. I, I'm not even thrilled with that because I, I think that's going to end predictably, but maybe that buys you the, the extra five or six weeks you might need. For, for Casas to make his debut. First base right now is just at the major league level, a black hole right now for the Red Sox. Dahlbeck, aside from that go-ahead run against the Yankees in game three, aside from that, just really hasn't given you much. And pitchers don't really have to pitch to him with Vasquez and Arroyo hitting behind him, but good hitters will still find a way. And uh, I mean, Dahlbeck's two hit game today in the finale got his average up to 178, but so we'll see. I'm, I'm rooting for Bobby. I mean, I think, I don't think the second half last year was completely a fluke, but, but, He's gotta he's gonna start showing us something or he's gonna be the odd man out or in a trade package uh, at some point before late July. And- yeah, not to mention the fact that he completely killed that ninth inning rally. I mean, runner on base, runner on third base, one out. All Dahlback has to do is lift the ball in the air. That's it. Just get a fly ball, tie the game. And he goes first pitch swing and grounds out. And it's just like, geez, dude, like you just you literally can't do anything, can you? Like, it's unreal. Yeah, he's so far in his own head with all that right now. Like, if he was, if he wasn't off to the same struggles he's been at, he wouldn't have been first pitch swinging like that. He, he didn't want to strike out in that situation, which sucks. He did scorch it. I will give him that. That was a hard hit ball. I think it was 103. But, yeah, he, he was like, I am going up there, and I am not striking out this that bad. And to be fair, I mean, strikeouts haven't been as glaring of an issue this year as it was in the first few months of 2021 for Dahlbeck. So I still hope, regardless of Casas' status, that Dahlbeck does give you something and and perhaps they can get a little creative with him. But it's just terrible when he's struggling and, and then the only other option is Travis Shaw, who does not have a hit. And he was four for 24 in spring training, Shaw was. So it's frustrating. And and first base is typically an area of strength on a lot of teams. Usually you have a bona fide power hitter that's at least going to hit 240 with some dingers. You know, that's just typically uh, the makeup of a first baseman. So... Give me Franchi for a little while, and he's he's 
hitting 315 right now with a 986 OPS. League average is what, 720, 730, something like that. So Franchi's killing it. Uh, he's hit three dingers, driven in 18 runs. He's hot right now, so why not? Uh, let's see. Jason, we're going to spend some time on this one. Go ahead. Who is your dud for the series? Yeah, my dud is Nick Pavetta. Um, just a terrible, terrible outing for him once again. That's three bad outings in a row. And this is a guy that I think you have to start legitimately worrying about because even though it's only three starts, some of the numbers attached to them are really frightening. Um, his fastball velocity is down. He His fastball velocity averaged 95 last year. He's averaging 93.4 so far in three starts. Um, and then you, you look at some of the other numbers, like the hard hit percentage, 51% of his pitches are hard hit. Like, so it, he's not sneaking the fastball by anybody, and he's getting crushed. Like, the amount of barrels that he hits is ridiculous right now. So he just can't fool anybody. It, it, if the fastball's not living up in the mid-90s where it usually is, then he's kind of sunk because that's what he sets up the rest of his pitches with. And I don't know if it's just because he needs more time, you know, with the weather and you know, maybe by May he he kind of gets into a groove and the velocity's back and he's okay. But if it doesn't go back up and this is the Nick Pavetta we're looking at, we may be looking at Nick Pavetta no longer in the rotation by midseason once some guys start coming back because he's just given up bombs. I mean, four home runs in his first three starts. And the home run ball was a big problem for him last year. He gave up 24 of them. And he's already on pace to surpass that by a lot. Um Again, you can't have that as the guy who's your quote-unquote number two starter right now. It's just not good enough. So uh, it looks bad. The numbers that back it up are especially terrifying. Um, hopefully, by the time the weather starts to really get warm, he also gets warm and the velocity ticks back up and he goes back to normal. But right now, it's uh, it's looking pretty dire for him. I'm going to bring a little optimism to that. Um, it's just based off the end of the game or his, the end of his start and then his post-game comments because he said he'd been working on mechanical adjustments for the past 15 to 20 days, but they weren't. he couldn't get him down. But this the last two innings he did, and he did top, at, top out at over 96 in the final two innings there. So if something clicked because his curveball was also hitting the spot, he loves, he loves that high curveball that drops down into the zone. Um, then hopefully uh, we have him back. His next test, I should that should be Toronto again, right? The beginning of the series. So I'm actually really intrigued to see what that ha- um, what happens there. Obviously, that's a hard place to pitch, but if he can get through five innings and only one or two runs, or hell, I would even take three. Uh, I'll feel a lot better going forward, but the, it has not been good to start the season for him, especially with how good he ended last, uh, last postseason on. And he had a pretty decent spring training. If I remember right, he didn't, he didn't look terrible. So, so it, it did appear that there could have been a continuation kind of like what we talked about earlier with Robles, just, just picking up where he left off, but we haven't seen that he's having the start to the year that I thought Michael Walker would have and, and walk has been phenomenal. Like I'm, 
and I trashed the Waka signing so bad. So I, I hope that at the end of the year, I, I'm eating some serious crow on that. But, but with Pavetta, it's in his head. I mean, he's, he's lost his mechanics. You know, that's a mental thing. And he's been that way his whole career. So I, I think for as long as he's in this organization, it's just, it's going to be a roller coaster. I think that's just who he is, and we're going to have to live with it. I'm not ready to pull the plug on him by any means, but um, and I, I when he's when he's on, he's fun to watch. He's one of my favorite pitchers to watch, just because there's just so much curiosity, you know, behind him. But like I said, he's a head case. There was something to do with long sleeves. He can't wear them because he'll he'll tip his pitches. Apparently, that was an issue last year. I, I don't remember if he wore them late last year, but um, but yeah, just it's frustrating. And I kind of felt like this was going to be an automatic loss. And predictably, he he gave up five runs real fast. So, um. Kind of unfortunate, but we'll see. He he had some good starts against Toronto last year, so maybe next week we'll we'll see we'll see a different Nick Pavetta. Yeah, I'm hoping Andrew that you're right that it was just him messing around with mechanical stuff, and because I feel like whenever pitchers do that, they can throw themselves all all out of sorts. So if something clicked and he's just like, okay, you know, I figured it out now and everything's good, then. We'll see. I mean, he'll be back in his his home country uh, next week, pitching pitching against Toronto. So maybe that gives him a little extra boost too. Yeah, we just gotta pray that that that's the case. We need these wins. I mean, honestly, if we finish the month at five hundred, I'm um, I'm good with it right now. We're one below, and we're only two games out. I think, I think at five hundred, you just take a deep breath and. May can't be much harder. You do have Baltimore uh, the the last day of the month going into May. So, all right. So, I'm going to take the long way to get to my dud here. At the, I've been waiting for this, honestly. At the, <laughs> it's outside yeah. the box. It is. So, at the start of last offseason, the number one position player – that I wanted was Trevor story. If you go back to the first hot stove episode we did, he was my guy and I wasn't supremely confident we would get him, but from a value perspective, I'd much rather pay him the, the one, whatever it was, one forty ish than, you know, 300 for Correa. And, and he was my guy. So my dud for the, for this series is Heim Bloom for not signing Kevin Gosman. He was my number one pitching, uh, my number one desired pitching target. And the dude was absolutely lights out today. Pitched eight innings in his third start. Has been pretty solid. I mean, he gave up three runs in, in five innings against Texas, but they've got a lineup that could probably do that to anyone. And uh, settled in really well. Had a had a great 
uh, start against the the Yankees. Uh, Gosman did uh, with five and two thirds innings, uh, only gave up two earned runs to them, and he's just he's getting more locked in. So he's faced the Rangers, the Yankees, and the Red Sox, and he's looked pretty good every time out. And instead of having him on our team, we have to face him for the next five years. And I just, oh, it's painful. Because that's not Baltimore Orioles, Kevin Gosman. This is the guy who has gradually, you know, ascended to being probably a, I don't know, a top 10 or 12 pitcher in the game. So I just wanted to throw that one out there. I mean, it's it's definitely a fair second guess. Kevin Gosman has really reinvented his career. Um, you know, like you said, it's not the guy we saw in Baltimore who, was all out of sorts and couldn't figure it out. He he's a top of the rotation kind of pitcher now. Um, I will say that five years, one ten. Not sure I would have been thrilled if the Red Sox gave that to him. I think he's a good pitcher, but I don't think he's going to be worth that money in a couple of years. Um, I just I don't see it. I you know it. I may be surprised. He might shock us all, but uh, I think only about two and a half years of that contract are really going to be worth it. I think the the last end of it is not going to be great. So it sucks to have to go up against him. It sucks that he's in the division now. Um, but I still I, – I can't really get on Kyam for not handing out that contract because I don't think I would have liked it. Yeah, and admittedly, I wasn't a huge fan of Gosman going into the offseason either. I, I mean, today it looks like I was completely wrong on that. Um I think that the Giants have a hell of a pitching program out there, so I wasn't sure how much of a product he was of that ballpark and uh, just, you know, the pitching coaches and the rest of the staff around him because I think it's Bannister out there now. Um, The players seem to love him. I just, I don't know, two pitch pitchers, you know, like we talked about Hauk earlier, scare me because if you lose effectiveness in one, then unless you're Mariano Rivera – you know, you're, you're gonna, you might not have the best of times. And he was already 31. I don't know. This could be – it could work out really well for Toronto. It was a gamble that a team like them that's all in should take, especially when, you know, you're losing your the Cy Young Award winner um, and you have to replace him. But time will tell with that one. I wouldn't be shocked if he was great for a year. I, I just – I don't know. There's something about Gosman. I, it must be the Baltimore days that I just can't. I can't buy it fully, though I probably should. Well, I think Toronto, by the end of the year, is going to – their program's going to have a lot more credibility as well. And Barrios got knocked around bad. He only lasted one-third of one inning in his previous start. Looked a lot better this time around. And The Red Sox were hitting him pretty hard. They just weren't scoring. I I – I got to disagree with you on that one. I thought he looked terrible the other day. I had zero um, worries about facing him. They they were smacking the ball. Well, I mean, we have had success against him even in his uh, Minnesota days. But, I mean, compared to the, his first start, which was against Texas again, which can, you know, put up, you know, some crooked numbers on – a lot of pitching staffs, but I just, I think Barrios is gonna, is gonna settle down, but their, their bullpen, I mean, 
they're they're they've been pitching pretty well since the second half of of last year and they Robbie Ray obviously went won a Cy Young out of nowhere uh, on that program so I I think they're on to something and I I think guys like Gosman Barrios uh we're seeing it now with Alec Manoa I just I think that's gonna be a that's gonna be a tough team for quite some time and and Toronto has they're gonna have to deal with the Vladdy Jr. Uh, contract situation. I, I mean, I haven't really heard a peep. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we've had some Devers news in the last couple of weeks, but you're not really hearing a lot of that out of Toronto with, with Vladimir. And um, Bichette probably comes up. But their pitching is, is controllable for the next four or five years. They, they are set as far as that goes. So, I mean, this is going to be a, a, a thorn in all of our sides uh, for, for quite some time. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Uh, we, we are getting late, but there is another dud situation that's outside the box. This is where Andrew thought I was going to go with mine. The Jerry Remy ceremony. Um, it... It did not include Don Orsillo, who played a, a pretty big hand in in helping Jerry get to where he got. And I, I think Jerry helped Don as well. I mean, it was just an amazing chemistry. So to leave him out of it, uh, not not a good look for Nesson. I thought it was appallingly bad by Nesson and the Red Sox to not include him. And then to... What's even worse than not including him is the spin zone after the fact where they come out and they say, well, we asked for the submissions, you know, a week ago and Don was very late to get a, get us his submission. And, you know, we wanted to include him, but then we changed it up at the last minute. It wasn't anything against him personally, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, it's all bull crap. You guys didn't want Don Orsillo on your big screen because you didn't want him getting a standing ovation, which is likely what would have happened because they're still embarrassed about the decision they made to get rid of him and to bring in this insufferable bore, Dave O'Brien, to replace him, who everyone can't stand and already is like, get rid of Dave O'Brien, we want Mike Monaco. <laughs> like, Nesson, Nesson's embarrassed, and they should be. Like, they know that they picked the wrong guy, they got rid of the wrong guy, and now they're just trying to spin it. So it's completely ridiculous. The only thing I will say in defense of some of the Nesson execs that are going back at Rosillo now is, you know, they sort of said, well, you decided to tweet about the whole thing and make it about you that day when it should have been about Jerry. And I kind of agree with that as much as I love Don, like he does seem to be one of these guys that's on Twitter a lot. Like people always highlight him liking tweets from people who will put up a picture of like O'Brien and Maz in the booth. Like, Oh, I can't believe we're stuck with this stupid duo. Like, I wish they'd fire him and we missed Don Orsillo and he, he likes all those tweets. So he's definitely on Twitter a lot and he did kind of, you know, make it a little bit about him that day when it really shouldn't have been. That said though, Nesson still looks so bad and, and they still look much worse than he does for leaving him out of it entirely. It was that that's a complete joke. Yeah. I'm kind of, where you are with that last part. I, I hate that this is completely overshadowed it. And I'm not blaming, you know, Orsillo or whatever for that. I, 
no one's even talking about it. They're about Remy. They're they're talking about that, and that's just highly unfortunate. It could have been handled by, you know, all the Red Sox a lot better. They seem to botch these sort of PR opportunities left and right. Dr. Charles never botched these when he was with the team. I think he's in Worcester now or with one of their minor league affiliates. But yeah, they were ran, they were run pretty well when um, he was kind of making sure the ownership didn't do or say something really stupid. So I, I think they need to bring back that PR buffer that has been sorely lacking the last few years. And it, it always seems to blow up in their face. Isn't it? kind of dumb that the Red Sox are just still bitter about it. Uh, that's I, Aren't all billionaires like this? I, it's so annoying. It's like, get over yourselves. Like, you fucked up. Move on. Like, you made a bad choice. Like, just own it. You know? The Red Sox are so protective of Nesson as a product. Like, the, they, they handle Nesson with kid gloves. Like, you know, they We've heard nothing like nothing but every every game. It's like they have to show their stupid new studio out in the outfield, and Tom Karen walking out going, "Hey guys, check out our awesome new studio! Isn't it great?" Like they're just so obsessed with their own thing, and you know, Nesson's the best, and oh, we got to promote Nesson to the high heavens. That it's like a situation like that where again, the fan base is telling you Nesson sucks, and we don't like it, and we only watch it because we have to. They're like, no, no, Nesson's great. Like, no, no, let's show off our new studio. And, hey, we've got a whole bunch of different color analysts this year. Like, we're we're hip with it now. It's like, no, you still just don't get it. You really don't. Uh, you know, there was one other admission last night, and I saw a couple people pointing out because I kind of noticed it too. When the Red Sox, I think it was Tom Karen tweeted out a picture. God, Tom's catching strays right now. Um, tweeted out a picture. It's like every Red Sox sideline reporter ever. And it was like Gary, uh, Heidi, like all of them. Hazel May wasn't there. And Hazel May, I believe, works for the Blue Jays. So it wouldn't have been hard to get her to come down to that. They didn't even mention her. But she was definitely a sideline reporter for a few years back then uh, when the team was pretty good. So I, I found that kind of interesting, too. So I don't know if there's these little personal vendettas that the Red Sox have and can't get over. That's a very good point, actually. Um, yeah, because, I mean, she was there, I think, around the 07 run or so. And uh, Heidi came shortly after. Both of them kind of had some minor uh, scandals involving some players, um, which is probably why we have Jemiah Webster because, you know, no lesser chance of that. And I, I like Jemiah, so, I mean, I'm, I'm totally good with him. But, uh, yeah, so one other thing I want to point out, and it's just so tragic, and it's, it's more Orsillo-related. Joe Buck retired. Well, not retired, excuse me. Nope, I was way off on that one. He, he left Fox for ESPN. So he's going to do – that's Monday Night Football, right? I'm pretty sure, yeah. So he's he's doing Monday Night Football now with uh, ESPN. So now now there's a, there, there was a vacancy as far as the World Series went. And Fox ended up going with Joe Davis, who has done a lot of their Saturday, you know, Fox national broadcasts. So I'm not shocked that that happened. 
but Don Orsillo is, uh, as far as I know, still an employee of um, of MLB on Fox. How epic would it have been had he gotten that position? Like, could there be a bigger middle finger to Tom Warner and I, <laughs> Nesson if Orsillo yeah. calls the World Series? It, it would be hilarious, especially if like the Red Sox lost it and you just like ape shit in the in the booth but it seems like davis that was such a safe move and i i agree with you it would have been great if uh, don got that call because i mean i think we all love him i just i i think they wanted that gray vanilla middle-aged you know white guy calling it <laughs> yeah i i mean i i think orsillo and uh john smoltz could have been uh you know a fun tandem in a way because when you know, in the right moment, Smoltz can be pretty animated himself. So would have, uh, would have been fun. The last time the Red Sox were like badly haunted, uh, in, in a world series was 2016 when you had Lester lackey, David Ross on one side with the Cubs. And then you had Francona, Napoli, Andrew Miller with the Indians, you know, just, there was a lot there to, uh, I don't know. Make John Henry a, a little more uh, bitter while he's watching on his big screen from his yacht. So, all right, we're uh, we are kind of running long, so let's uh, get over into the um, pitching matchups for Tampa. So this is going to be the first time we see them, and they. I think the Red Sox did have a better second half against them, but that's still a team that just. They call up someone from AAA and we get shut down, you know. So, um, so yeah, let's uh, go ahead and get into that series. So, uh, this is in Tampa. Game one is Michael Waka versus Corey Kluber. Kluber's off to a pretty good start. Um, he's all fixed up. Had I believe it was, did he have Tommy John or was it a shoulder? Yeah, I think he had Tommy John. He had that weird thing. They they had to shut him down for like nine weeks, and then he had another nine weeks of recovery. I don't think it was surgery. Okay, it, it was his shoulder. My bad. Yeah, it was something with the shoulder. Yeah, yeah, I forget exactly what it was, but yeah, that's right. And so he, you know, he threw that no hitter in last year, twenty twenty, and then wasn't the same. But seems to be. Uh, back you know I, i'm not gonna say to his old form but you know finding ways to to get guys out and michael waka i'm a little nervous about this because who knows michael waka you know better than anyone and that's tampa that's where he pitched so how, how do you guys feel about that first matchup I still like the red Sox in that one we tend to do pretty well against kluber he's three and four against us so ERAs in the mid fours, um, so I we we've knocked him around a little bit. The Waka thing does concern me. Obviously, Tampa knows him pretty well, but um, you know, and and really just comes down to can the bats wake up? I mean, that that's really what they need. I, I think Waka will pitch well enough to keep you in the game, but could they still lose three nothing because the bats are still cold? Absolutely. Um, but I I think seeing Corey Kluber, a guy that they're very familiar with, I think they'll. They'll wake up enough, and uh, I, I think they'll win that one. 
Yeah, I have no reason to believe this, but I do think they're going to score a bunch of runs tomorrow. Um, <laughs> there's literally no track record for them to do this at this point of the year, but I think they're going to put up at least five or six, and I think Watkins can be good enough uh, to get this done. They do have a pretty well-rested a squad in the bullpen, the Red Sox do. So uh, I don't fear Corey Kluber. I, I thought he's been a kind of a overpaid guy the last couple of years after he left Cleveland. I hope you guys are right. I mean, this is going to be a good test for Kluber. If he comes out of this one well, it's just going to spark more curiosity. Um, you know, he's one of those. I mean, he's never been a guy that's going to really blow you away, or at least in the last several years, since the, the World Series year anyway. And um, so we'll, we'll see. Uh, the second matchup is uh, kind of up in the air, but it's looking like Garrett Whitlock will get his first start. So I've been clamoring for that, and there's no time like the present because you're going to have Paxton back. You're going to have Sale back, so... If I'm going to get my way, he's got to start and then make a statement and then make it difficult for the Red Sox to take him out of that rotation. But I want him to be lights out in this matchup so bad. But Yeah, I, this one I'm a little bit worried about. I, I guess Tampa is listing it as TBD. Um, that probably means you're going to see that, that Rasmussen kid who – just always owns the Red Sox. Uh, he's he's one of their openers that they like to use. Um, he's a tough guy to hit. And I think Whitlock will pitch really well, but I don't think he's going to be in the game very long. You know, I think maybe three innings, four innings at the most. And then it's going to be turned over to a combination of, you know, Valdez or a bunch of guys like that. Um, and I just, I don't know, the Red Sox offense is worrying me right now. As much as I think they'll hit Corey Kluber, I think they see, like, some of these guys like Rasmussen and that Tampa bullpen, and I don't know if they can hit them. So I'm worried about Saturday. I, I think they drop that one. I think it'll be a low-scoring game, but I think they'll drop that one. I legitimately can't even, like, decide on a pick on this one. I, I There's just no track record for what the Red Sox are going to do after Whitlock. It's like, all right, what do you, what do, you do after your start only goes three or four up? Bring a Whitlock. It's like, well, crap, he's the guy that went three or four. So I – they're, they have they have no choice to but to score runs for Whitlock. If they don't, they're screwed. They'll lose. If they put up four or five in the first three innings, they win this game. It would help if we got JD back for sure. Um, not sure what his status is. He's not on on the injured list as of yet. So we'll see. I mean, there. he. I- yeah, it seems like he's at least pretty hurt because, like, they could have used him as a pinch hitter today and they didn't. So yeah. if, if he's not even a, in a position where he can pinch hit, then I don't know. True. Um, so we'll, we'll see. Uh, and then finally, in the last game of the series, you have Rich Hill versus Shane McClanahan. They're essentially their ace. So I'm just going to throw it out there right now. I I don't really like this matchup. Yeah. You can chalk that one up as a loss. Um, (laughs) just, and again, like unless the first two games, the offense is like on fire and they just, something clicks and they're awake, but I don't foresee that happening. And I think McClanahan's just going to shove the bats down their throats and that's going to be that. 
Yeah, I think way too highly of McClanahan to think that they're gonna win this game. So that's why these the first two games of the series is so damn important because I don't think you're touching them on Sunday. And being one game under 500 right now, it would just be really painful to to lose another series because then you're at least two under. So with four games against Toronto, and you don't even know who's gonna be able to go because have uh, a little bit of an outbreak right now so so we'll see all right on that note we will wrap so uh everybody uh have a good start to your weekend we will have red sox deep dives uh coming uh for saturday morning so if you got a weekend road trip uh you can catch that episode as well take care